Hey, this is Empowerment Coach Ashley Baxter, host of the Courageous Word Podcast. However, this particular episode is from my old show, the Restoring Heart Podcast. Although I removed most of the 30 episodes from that show, there were seven that I could not part with, and this is one of them. You can feel free to listen to it or skip ahead until you get to the first episode of the Courageous Worth podcast, which is entitled Helping You Live with Courageous Worth. FYI, if you do continue to listen to this episode of my old podcast, know that my business has undergone many changes since then. So some things mentioned may no longer apply. For example, my social media handle and website names have changed. Today, you can find me on social media platforms at the Ashley Baxter, and my website is theashleybaxter.com. Okay, you're still here, so I'm guessing you're about to listen to this episode. This particular episode was an interview about facing hardship and the importance of not losing heart. So thanks for listening to this episode from my old show, as well as listening to episodes of my current show, The Courageous Worth Podcast. Welcome to the Restoring Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Baxter, and every Thursday, a new episode is posted to help you restore heart to your life and to the lives of those around you, because our hearts are valuable and desperately needed in this world. Hey, it's Ashley. I hope y'all are having a great day. Today's episode is the February's interview episode, which is two of my friends, Brad and Sarah, sharing about their journey with infertility and adoption. I am so excited for you to hear this episode in which they are both very open about their thoughts and emotions and experiences in this journey. I am thankful that by having both of them, it not only sheds a light to different perspectives from a woman's point of view, but also from a man's point of view. I hope that this interview will be very special to you, whether you know people who are going through this or if you are going through this yourself. As with all the interview episodes, The version that you are listening to right here is more trimmed down. However, the full episode, which is 25 minutes longer, can be found in Restoring Hearts Patreon community. Every month, the full clip of any interview episode is posted in Patreon for those members who are part of the $10 a month tier or higher. If ever interested to find out more, you can always go to patreon.com backslash restoring heart. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I'd love for you to be a part of that community to see more ways that Restoring Heart is trying to help others. There's also the option that you could join just for one month to listen to a particular interview episode you really want to hear more of. So if you find yourself wanting more, then head over there to check it out. Now let's jump into the episode. I can't see you. I don't think that's true. It's like, do you need to see me? I told Ashley you were nice to look at. That's awkward. <laughs> Less awkward than if I said you're nice to look at. <laughs> That's true. That'd be way more awkward. <laughs> so I'm here with my friends, Brad and Sarah. They have been married for how many years now? 13. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. You know what? And this actually reminds me, I don't know if I told you all this, but when I went to your wedding, I was in line to sign the registry and I was I think I had my gift in hand, but then I had to run and use the restroom. And I passed it on to one of our friends, maybe it was Jeremy Donovan or someone. And I've always won and I think I asked them to write my name on the card. And I don't know if they did. So if y'all ever got two <laughs> presents from one person, 
then one of them was one of them was from me well thank you you're welcome thank you well brad actually (laughs) um so we split our thank you note list and like half right and all the people that i knew i wrote thank you notes to all the people brad knew he was supposed to write thank you notes to and i don't think he finished his can i use this opportunity to thank everyone (laughs) (laughs) so i think there is a small subset of people from our wedding who probably wonder if we got their gift because brad did not write their thank you note it's okay here's so sorry we're we're sharing random wedding moments (laughs) um you know they say like you'll never remember your wedding day etc etc and i tried to look out at people and i actually remember um you were one of the people i i made eye contact with and i'll never forget it because i'm just kind of scanning looking and then there you are like probably one of the happier people there's people kind (laughs) of looking and then you're just like Totally in, ear to ear smile. And I was like, oh, hey, Ashley. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Fully supported y'all's union. There you go. (laughs) And two gifts. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did y'all meet? We met uh, through some friends in college. Mm -hmm. So we were at a gathering with some friends and I was wearing Carhartt overalls, Chacos, and pearls because that was the look. And he thought that was cute. Oh, and I had pigtails. And That's think, correct. Yeah. And he thought that was really cute. And then he got my screen name um, from a friend. Yeah, AIM. Remember uh-huh. that? Yes. Followed by the phone number mm-hmm. after. But I did speak to her first over Instant Messenger. We'll just Yeah, be I was waiting for him to call me because I was kind of <laughs> thinking, hmm, he should probably call me soon. Yeah. We've been chatting on Instant Messenger for several <laughs> weeks. And he did. Hey. He called me. He asked me on a date. And um it was kind of vague, and then he called me back and said, "I just want to be clear, this is a date." Oh, like, yes! Classic sign of a gentleman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very chivalrous, I thought. <laughs> and then, how long did y'all date before y'all got married? So, um, not long. Um, we got married on our year anniversary, so we went on our first date on December seventeenth, and we got a year married a year later on December seventeenth. And we got engaged roughly four and a half months in mm-hmm. um, to dating. April 9th. April 9th. And when you know, you know. And that's the easiest way to put that. And I think there was some some head tilts when it happened, but that's okay. Some speculation. That's right. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know when you know, you know. And I did. And um, she was stupid enough to say, okay. And... Um, no, it was it was or awesome. Smart enough. Uh, or smart enough. No, thirteen years later, I think it's worked out. How were the first few years of marriage? I have my master's in counseling, and I like to talk about how our frontal lobes that are in charge of decision making and regulating emotion they were not fully developed because that does not happen until you're roughly twenty five, right? So we were emotional, um, and we were growing up together, and we also um, at that point. Brad got a job in New York, and so we moved from North Carolina to to New York, and so we were away from family, first year of marriage, very um, low income status, so it was very stressful, and we were very emotional, <laughs> so there was a lot of arguing. I'm pretty sure the first time he did our laundry, he um, shrunk one of my sweaters, and I um, yelled at him for shrinking my sweater, and I threw it at him across the room. <laughs> And then he stopped doing my laundry. <laughs> but 
but we were just really young and um it was you know we got married fast so we had a strong foundation we have a lot in common with just our values and our beliefs um but I think when you're growing up, you have to learn how to communicate, how to argue productively and how to argue well. And I think it took us several years to learn that. So, um, and I think we're still learning, you know, I mean, everybody still has their challenges, but it was just a very, a a big growth time um, for us. When you got married, did you have thoughts in your head? Like, we'll wait a couple of years to try to have kids. And I mean, did you have a vision of when this would happen and how it would happen? I think we definitely wanted to wait since we were so young. We wanted to wait um, to have kids till we were a little older. Um, I think we were about four years in to our marriage when we thought that maybe we were ready to have kids. Uh, So it was definitely something we always wanted to do. We did always talk about, you know, wanting to have a bigger family, like, well, not huge, but maybe three kids. Um, and then that we wanted to wait a little bit, but yeah, about four years in was when we decided we wanted to. Yeah. But I think we were a, since we got married young, we were like, we got some, some life to live. Like, let's go figure out what we're figuring out how to live as a married couple and together. And then also I think we were both vocationally did not have, uh, like we both didn't come out of college and be like, I'm an X, right? Like this is what I was in college to do. This is what I'm going to go do. Like I have this plan. We were both kind of like, I think I want to do X. Let's try it out and see what happens. Um, So I think we spent the next, um, you know, the next four to five years really focusing on what does that look like? Um, Which I think was good for me personally. Like I think if you've thrown a kid in the mix during that time where we were figuring our vocational stuff out, it would have been added pressure to sit down and whatever, you know, it would have been harder to just, Hey, let's try something different. And it, it took me a few tries to figure out like where, um, I really enjoyed to sit down and lined up with like my abilities and gifts and things like that. Yeah. So. We're both in, and I'm in a totally different career. I'm not a counselor. Yep. I sell things. <laughs> 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 yeah, we it took a while to figure that out. So I think, you know, it, when once we kind of figured that out and got a little bit more stable um in regards to our careers and felt like we were fighting well and communicating well and I think that's that was the right time. Yeah. I think I think we both knew earlier. Like maybe I don't know if we had like explicit conversations that were like we're going to wait till we're 28, you know, or we're going to wait, you know, 27. But I think it was this unspoken agreement we got to work on some stuff like we're not you know this probably isn't a good idea yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of our friends had kids pretty early after college and i remember thinking that's really awesome for them but uh uh-uh not not me they were also way more mature than we were yeah they they are they they know who they are (laughs) that's right that's right um did the possibility ever come to y'all's mind that things might not go smoothly that thought did not cross my mind I think the, you know, you are what you experience. So everything I had experienced around me was people were like, we're going to start a family, bam, pregnant. And and that was pretty much the methodology of like my, uh, you know, immediate family and close sets of friends. Like, oh, you know, we want to start a family. All right, now we're pregnant. And it was just kind of one of those things where I'd never been around or experienced much otherwise I just had the assumption of like, oh, well, we're ready. We'll just, bam, pregnant. Like, let's go. Uh, 
So I don't think until it started, you know, over the course of our, our kind of journey together until it started to kind of come the dust settle and come into clarity. Um, I had no idea. I mean, it was, it was not something that we had, we didn't prepare well for it because we weren't preparing at all. Um, so it was kind of like, as we started going through it, everything, every door that opened, we were like, huh, well that sucks, you know, or like, that's different. And then we'd kind of process it usually with raw emotions and then process it with somewhat logical emotions. And, you know, anyways, not jumping ahead, but it's kind of where my mind went. Yeah. It was surprising. (laughs) More succinct. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) When you started to realize that things weren't going according to plan, do you remember like certain emotions that were extremely present for each of you? Yeah, it's funny. It was kind of a gradual thing. So at first it was more, huh, this is weird. I guess confusion or I don't really understand. I just feel a little bit um, foggy on what's happening. I don't understand why this is taking so long. And I guess it was some initial anxiety or worry of what might be lying ahead. Because at that point, you know, I think about month 10 of it not happening, you know, you start to do some research and, you know, about a year is when they recommend you get some fertility tests done. And so I think around that time I started to feel anxious and that was the beginning emotion. As we went through the testing, uh, essentially with us, there's no, they couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. Um, There's really no explanation. And I think that was hard because I just wanted there to be a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think going through that and, and knowing there's no really good reason, that was when I experienced a lot of anger and frustration and sadness. And, you know, because the anxiety had gone away and now it's just, well, there's nothing wrong, but this still isn't happening. And so what is that? Like, that sucks. That's not fair. Why us? Uh, I think you just experience a lot of heartache and just grief. And it's such a weird grief because it's like this gradual thing that gets worse and worse. And then it's like this grief, but do I still have hope? Cause could this still happen? And even after having, you know, our son now, um, th- for adoption, spoiler alert, I don't know. Did I just <laughs> okay, kill it? Okay. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I still feel that grief. It's still present. Um, so I think it was a very gradual emotional experience and I don't know how it was for Brad. I mean, we've talked about it some, but I don't know if you felt that gradual depthening or deepening of the emotional process. Yeah, I think for me, um, it was surprising, but I immediately went into problem-solving mode before I went into emotional – before I sat down in it and said, like, what do I feel? Like, what am I – let me – sit down in what I am feeling and kind of process this, I just skipped ahead to, okay, here's our options. Here's the things we can do to fix this problem. Um, and then to be honest, when we were um, getting all our testing back and all that stuff and we found out, you know, the we're sitting in the room with this, this uh, doctor and she's kind of walking us through, you know, she says there's five reasons it could be goes through one it's like not that one and goes through all these things and it's like it's not 
Sarah, we don't know if it's you. Brad, we don't know if it's you. It's not this. It's not that. And like, and then they get to the fifth reason. And it's like, you know, we just don't know. And sometimes you don't know. And to me, that was like the worst thing they could have mm-hmm. said because there's no, can't fix what you don't know, mm-hmm. you, you know? So it was one of those things where I, I think for me, that was kind of like a moment of where I started to process, like, what is this, you know, what am I feeling? Like, cause that, that point you, you know, you <laughs> can't go somewhere if you don't have an address. Um, and that's kind of what I felt. Um, and I remember just taking some time to kind of, you know, think through it. Um, I was already like, I, you know, even with that, I mean, I'm still thinking through, you know, what are the next steps? Cause it was obviously like, this wasn't going to stop us from, um, what we were, you know, from our journey and our, you know, what is laid out for us. Um, but I mean, I processed, I would say some of the, you know, emotions that everybody maybe goes through and I had a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, not the why, you know, jealousy of other people, you know, just watching, you know, you watch, um, you watch things go by that you want to be a part of. And you kind of watch from the sidelines and you still have joy for those things and you're still involved and you're like, this is amazing. But there's that little piece of you that's like, son of a bitch. (laughs) Like that should be us too. Um, And we process that a lot together. It brought us together um, a a little sidebar. Like I think this was a two things that can happen uh, in those moments. And and I think for Sarah and I, I I think something like this can tear people apart or it can push them together. and for us, it it was not to say it wasn't easy, but I think we made a decision that it was going to pull us together. Um, so we spent a lot of, and again, that's not to say it was like, oh, I love you so much more now. This is, we're going to do this together and everything's going to be awesome. But it was like, it's going to hurt. It's going to be ugly. But like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do this. Yeah. That sums up my thoughts on that, that one. Yeah. Jealousy was definitely a struggle during that time. I think it was hard because we felt left behind in a lot of ways and like folks were kind of moving on with their lives um, and that we were kind of stuck in this like place like that we couldn't get out of. And even though we wanted to move forward and be parents, we were watching our friends, you know, grow older with their kids and their kids were getting older and kind of knowing like, man, when, when our kid is born, like they're not going to be the same age as these kids. They're not going to get to play together like everyone else. And it kind of, it, it, it felt hard. It felt like we were getting left out. And I think we had to really reframe that. But yeah, there were times when I would come home from baby showers and just sob for like an hour or um, we, we would be at like a couple's baby shower and I would like just be completely weird because I just didn't know how to act and I would be awkward. Or um, one time I walked out with someone else's purse because I just was so like a hot mess on the inside and trying to keep it together. And so I just, I say these things because I think that, you know, looking back, I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds about right. Like there was a lot going on and that's pretty normal to do things like that. And, but those were hard, those were hard times. I've thought through this a lot, and I think you can experience two emotions at the same time. I think you can be very joyful and happy. And even now, I still get upset talking about it because you want that so badly. Um, And I still do. Um, And you're so joyful for people that say, I'm pregnant, and you get so excited. And you love these people, right? There are so many of our dearest friends who would tell us and I would be so happy. But then underneath that, at the same time, it feels like a punch in the gut of 
you know, gosh, it just reminds you of what you didn't get to experience or don't get to experience. And so I think that is really hard. So there's just that deep sadness that, um, and thankfully, I mean, our friends were wonderful and respectful and we had one set of friends that was having twins and we were laughing on the phone with them because they were like, we didn't want to call you and tell you. And, um, you know, it's just this sweet moment where we're walking through life together. They're aware of our emotions. They know how hard it is. And we were so happy and we were able to tell them, hey, we're so happy for you and we mean it. Um, and we really do. But they also know and telling us that, that there's pain there. And I think one thing that I think people go through when they, I know we did when we went through this and are going through it even still is that you can have both of those emotions and it's okay. Um, and yeah, it's just how, how it is. It's, it's that it's not black and white. I think, and to your point, I think it was, we were really blessed with some special friendships and relationships of, um, people, um, you know, like the example you mentioned, like that was one of the, um, sweetest calls that I was, you know, still had because you experienced a lot of things because there's a deep level of love there and awareness that is special. Um, and we were really blessed, um, to have, um, some really close sets of friends who were aware and showed awareness and showed care and, you know, didn't tiptoe around the top because that's the thing, like, this is who we are. Like, this is our life. Like we're, totally cool with it because it's our story. Um, but to have people alongside that, that just jumped into it with you and got dirty with you and listened and shared and, you know, didn't change their behaviors or change what they were going to tell you or whatever. Um, but like kind of got in the mud with you. Like that's, that was impactful. Um, and that doesn't, that was, that, that was a big piece, um, to our stories. Like, sitting down in it, but we had some great people come alongside us and um, be consistent support, which was big. Did y'all share with friends and family right from the beginning or how did that decision process look like? So a small group of friends knew that we were trying to have a baby. Um, and then as we got further along um, and started testing, we told our family, um, and then just continued to walk through it with that smaller group of friends. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we became a little bit more vocal about it, um, later after a couple of years, because I think I started to realize that I wasn't the only one. And I think that there's power in being and shining light on something, um, for both me and other people. Right. Um, so I think we did become a little bit more open about it maybe as we got closer to talking about adoption. Um, but I think some of those earlier years, um, we kept it pretty close to the chest. Yeah. Agreed. And what did the decision process look like next when you realized, okay, so naturally this isn't going to happen or the typical natural way you expect? Yeah. Uh, so we, we're at the fertility clinic and we tried several things. So the decisioning process was first, okay, do we want to do these treatments, right? So we went through um, three rounds of IUIs and they were all failed, which is a whole nother emotional experience um, because you think every month like – 
this is going to work. And then it wouldn't work. And it was an emotional roller coaster for three months. Um, And then so we did that three months. And then when it didn't work, our doctor said, you know, you can look at continuing to do this, um, which at the time it was very expensive um, and it was hard on our family and um, also just emotionally draining. So the next step was um, in vitro fertilization. And I think Brad and I had a lot of questions about that and had to think through if we were comfortable with that. And um, we thought about it for a long time and, you know, prayed about it. And we decided that we kind of needed to take a step back and take some time off um, from treatment to decide what that was going to look like next. So I actually started doing acupuncture because I was like, well, why not, you know? Um, and it was a good experience, but I mean, it didn't work. <laughs> I think it did work for some people, and that's great. It did not work for me. Um, I really enjoyed the gentleman that um, I saw for acupuncture, and he was very big on the power of um, your thoughts in your mind. And he would encourage me to um, visualize myself pregnant while I was getting acupuncture. And that was part of my treatment was to use visualization, um, which I was kind of like, eh about this, but whatever. Okay, cool. Um, and so we were on our kind of break from treatment, just getting acupuncture, just kind of thinking through things. And one day I was on that acupuncture table and instead of visioning, envisioning myself pregnant, for some reason I envisioned us adopting. Wow. Um, and it was the coolest thing. And I was like, whoa, that is not <laughs> what I expected. So I think that played a big part in our decision-making process. And um, Brad, you were in a different place in the decision-making process you know, we were both kind of taking that step back, but I think your mind was somewhere else as well. Yeah. I adoption before we started, um, trying, uh, adoption had always been something that had been on my heart prior to that. So, um, I had in my mind that, you know, we would, you know, start having kids and then look into the adoption process regardless. Um, so it was something, um, that was, kind of advanced in my mind as far as where I was, which was also created a whole different, like, be honest, right? Like, again, my methodology in this was how can I fix it? How can I fix, how can I fix my wife? Right? Like, and it wasn't, <laughs> I say that, but I mean like, not that she's broken, but that she feels broken. Right. And I watched her pain and I watched what she was going through and just the sadness of it. And and like I was going through these same things too, but my mindset was, you know, just always went back to like, well, what can I do to change this situation? So I think, you know, I say that jokingly, but I, I remember bringing up adoption well before Sarah was ready. A, I think probably even talk about it. Like it was just needing some time to like continue to process and, and some of those conversations, you know, I, it's just like, hey, this is we can't do it here. This makes total sense. Let's talk about this and learning to kind of respect her need to process and take time to work through that was something I had to learn. Um and for myself, because I think in the time it took us to get there, I had to think through a lot of other, you know, again, I, I've mentioned this a few times, but I had to like kind of sit down and where I was. Um but I kind of just I let it go. Um, she knew how I felt and, um, it became more of a, you know, where I stand. Um, and this is something I would like to do, um, but we got to go together. So, um, and I don't, 
Sarah wasn't like actively like against it or anything. It was just her speed and processing and my speed and processing were very different um, and appropriate for each other, right? Like it just took us different time to get there. Yeah, I think I knew and I agreed with Brad even earlier on in marriage that I thought that we would possibly adopt one day. I think in my brain, as far as what I envisioned and expected with our lives, I always just expected that we would have kids biologically first and then we would adopt maybe our third kid or our second kid. And I think I had this rigid mindset of what starting our family should look like. And um, I think that that acupuncture, when I was on the acupuncture table and I, I saw that vision, it just was this moment where I just felt so strongly, I don't have to start my family biologically. Like families look different. Families can look a lot of different ways. And why do I have stuck in my mind that it has to be this rigid way? Um, you know, just because I want to adopt doesn't mean I'm giving up on having a biological child. Um, and now I'm in a totally different place and we can talk about that later. But I just, I think at that point in time, I just needed, I needed time for my heart to get there um, and to get there in the way that we were both on the same page. And so that's kind of how it got there. I called him on the way home and I was like crying. And I said, I think, I think I'm ready. I think let's, let's, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> what did that process look like? Because I know there's so many different avenues you can take. Yeah. So we wanted to this is like the biggest decision of our life, right? And and we really wanted to be methodical. So we met with several friends who had already adopted, which was really helpful. And we met with several friends that had several different situations. So, um, you know, private adoption, foster care, international adoption, um, adoption of different races and different types of situations. And so we really wanted to be well informed so that we could make the right decision for us. And that was really helpful. Um, it also brought some awareness to adoption that, you know, I didn't even really know like certain phrases that, you know, I didn't even really know were like a thing, you know, like about how you phrase, you know, an adoptive family or um, there's just words that are hurtful in the adoptive community. And it's you never think about these things until you're going through it, right? And I'm like, oh, man, um, I've just learned a lot. And and it was very helpful. So um, that kind of led us to pick the agency that we did. Um, we decided to do private adoption, um, which essentially means um, it's not through foster care. It's typically through um, either a woman who is pregnant and looking to um, – to find an adoptive family for their child or, um, you know, maybe a young child who, who, you know, um, is born and then, um, the, the parent proactively, you know, makes that decision. So not, not through, um, foster care and not international adoption. We thought for us, you know, international adoption is great, but we thought, Hey, there's a lot of needs here in our end backyard and, um, in the States that maybe we could, um, maybe we could do it that way first. And, you know, getting your feet wet for the first time, it's like, maybe we should take the easier route. And, and that was just our our thing is like, this is really, okay, parenting is hard, right? And becoming a parent for the first time is hard. And so, and, and adoption is hard because it's like a whole nother layer of um, things that you are paying attention to and talking through with your kids. So we were like, I think if we could just kind of take the path of least resistance, that would be great, even though it ended up not being the path of least resistance. <laughs> it was really hard. Um, but that that was our decision-making process. So you were saying there's lots of things that you learn, like things that are 
hurtful for people to say or different terminology. Can you share some of that? Yeah. Um, I think things like, um, there's a lot of curiosity around adoption. So people ask questions because they don't understand. And so I heard a lot of stories from our friends, like, you know, and similar to even what we experienced with infertility, but things like, oh, so the, the mom just didn't want them or just phrasing things like, um, you know, giving someone away or giving someone up. It's like, I think the birth mom never really gives them up or never really gives them away or never really wants to, right? It's like the most excruciatingly painful experience for her um, in a lot of cases. I mean, every situation is different, but um, they're in they're in their hearts. And, you know, it's – I'm, I'm – certain. Um, I, I think about Jackson's birth mother every day and, and I can imagine that, you know, I don't know what she feels, um, but it's not that simple. And so I think there are a lot of things that um, are so easily said, but carry so much weight. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if you have anything to add. Uh, I mean, I, I I was thinking through both as you were talking around just infertility and um, just the adoption process. And I agree. Um, I'm not going to get into like a bunch of examples, but I, I will say the majority of places where it would pop up was when people didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. But I think it was when it, it would come up where people wouldn't know what to say and they feel like they have to say something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know. It often th- comes out in inappropriate questions. Right. Or, or things that either minimize or redirect the energy of what you're dealing with to something else to explain it away or mm. things like that. Mm. Um, like and, was there something wrong with it or was there something wrong with the baby or why would she want to give a baby up if there wasn't something wrong? Things like that. Mm. Yeah. And, and especially like even during the infertility stuff, I, to me, that's where I ended up. I, I feel like experiencing it a little bit more um, than in the adoption front. Um, but just as a, you know, anecdote sometimes just saying man that sucks i'm sorry is way better than anything else Mm -hmm. anyone could say so it's like usually those are the ones that and it's changed how i handle dealing with people going through things that are hard like often i don't try to offer any advice anymore unless asked you know when it comes to it i'll usually just start with like that sucks i'm really sorry let me know if that like Hey, if I can do anything, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that must really be awful. That must suck. <laughs> I yeah. say that a lot. Yeah. Um, because it, sometimes it's just nice. And you're like, yeah, it does suck. Thanks. And then you're done. And then that's enough. And if that gives the person on the other side the opportunity to go farther or the opportunity to do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important. So for me, it was a lot of things where – Things would be said, and and this wasn't like all the time, but it was just it made me think of it since we're talking about it. But it, you know, you it would almost put you in a position where you had to start expanding on things that were yours to were yours to decide if you wanted to share or not, mm-hmm. versus just saying that that stinks. Yeah, and I'm good. Thanks. Let's yeah. move on. I was gonna say I think with adoption too, a lot of folks want to know Jackson's story, um, and I think that's awesome, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that curiosity, but I also it's his story to tell really. Mm-hmm. Right. And he doesn't even know his story yet. You yeah. know, he doesn't, I don't want, we, we do have close friends and family that know his story, but um, it's one of those things where 
the details of why he is our son, that's his, you know? And so, um, I think that it's, um, important for us to respect that. And, um, I I think, you know, our friends and family do a good job respecting that. Um, but that's why sometimes, you know, when strangers ask me, um, or not strangers, but people that I don't know very well, you know, want to know all the details of that. I think that's, that's hard and it's hard to sidestep. And Jackson has very curly hair and it's very blonde and, um, Brad and I have dark hair and it is not curly at all. And so I get asked a lot when I'm out in public, where does he get his curly hair from? And it took me a while to figure out my response. Yeah, My response is it's on the maternal side. And that's all I say, because his birth mom had very curly blonde hair. Um, But people don't realize when they ask those questions, right, that they're putting you on the spot. Because in my heart, I'm like, (gasps) you know, it just it reminds me most days I don't even remember that Jackson's adopted. But Mm -hmm. those questions remind me of that. And then I have to think through. Hmm, is this worth starting this conversation with a stranger in a yeah. grocery store? Yeah. I don't think so. You know, not today. <laughs> um, if it's somebody that I know is going to be in our life for a long time, you know, I'll answer it straight up. But it's little things like that. People ask you questions, not even thinking about the ramifications of them. And in your heart, you have that moment where you're like, oh gosh, like I, f- I forgot he was adopted today. Or when we were trying to get pregnant, it was, um, so when are you going to start a family? And it's so innocent from them, right? But for us, it was uncovering all the depths of our pain, right. you know, just in one conversation. I think that was something we experienced a lot is people aren't even saying anything or asking a question that they mean to be hurtful or in normal life, like wouldn't be a big deal. But then when you're in, when you're living that every day, it's like, it, it just, it taps at something so deep and you just have to kind of like keep yourself together without sobbing in the middle of the grocery store. Yeah. I and mean, just to reiterate that I, to be clear, like everyone who asks and then in this example or this question that we're kind of talking through is everybody's got great intentions and that's, it's nothing to be held against mm-hmm. Agreed. any of that. Um, but it's just, you know, as we dig into it, like and unpack it, it's what's happening. You know, part of this conversation is like what's happening behind the eyes, right? Um, and that's that's being honest. But it's never like we never had an ill will towards any question being asked because it's still like, well, it's because you love us. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, yeah, knowing. And again, you don't know what you don't know. So mm-hmm. now I know some things. Yeah. Um, so it's given me a different perspective. Yeah. Well, I love what you said about not feeling that you have to explain why someone's going through something or try to give advice and exactly what we said, like just saying that sucks and mm-hmm. I'm here for you. I think that's so huge. And I love the whole concept of then it gives the people on the receiving end the decision whether or not they want to share more or just let it be and just know that. Yeah. I'm sure there are tons of things that people have said that have been unintentionally harmful, but what would be a few that you would say you heard a lot that could maybe advise people not the best thing to say. Yeah. Um, so I know everyone's heart is in the place of wanting to help, right? Um, I think people like to give advice. And and I think one thing that people said a lot was like, well, just relax, you know? And um, I'm like, well, <laughs> it's been eight years. And, you know, we've had multiple fertility treatments. So I think if I could just like just relax, that would be really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> Um, I'm trying, you know, I'm like doing yoga and acupuncture and trying to take deep breaths, but it's just not working. So, um, that one was, <laughs> that one was fun. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's, 
it's people not knowing what to say and trying to be encouraging. So I appreciated it in the moment. So even when these things are said to me, it's like, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me right now. And I have like, thanks for that. But um, at the same time, it's kind of like, it hurts a little bit. Um, So that one was a big one. I think a lot of people, um, I I think like to share stories of hope. And I think that can be really helpful, but it also can be very hurtful. Um, cause my, my situation might be different than your friend's situation. And even now still, I think a lot of folks like to share stories about people that have adopted and then got pregnant with twins or, and that's really exciting. And I love that. And gosh, I wish that would happen to us. Like that would be so great. And it's good to know that that happens to people. I'm happy for them. I would love that to happen to us, but it's also, um, it hasn't, you know? And so like, I think the more I hear those stories, the more I'm like, wah, wah. like <laughs> I don't know that that's our lot, you know? Um, because people will say, well, I think once you have a baby, like you're just more relaxed. And, um, I just, it kind of ties into that first one. So I think those are the hardest for me. Um, you know, I, I think with adoption, um, one of the, um, you know, one of the harder ones for me that people say are, you know, well, what was his real mom like? Or, you know, asking questions about his real mom. And that's really hard for me um, because mm. I feel like I'm his real mom. <laughs> I yeah. am his real yeah. mom. Um, he has a birth mom and we have so much love and respect for her. And I hope he will too one day. Um, but, you know, I'm in the throes of that day-to-day parenting and I love him. And like I said, sometimes I just forget that he didn't I didn't birth him. Yeah. It's no different to me. And so I think that kind of um, language hurts a little bit because it, it reminds me that, um, you know, that, that I didn't birth him, even though I feel like I did. So um, I think it's different for everyone though. I think everyone responds differently to different questions. So, um, and I think everyone's heart is in the right place, but I I do think um, if people could kind of think through like, you know, if I was struggling with this, you know, is this, some verbiage that would be encouraging to me or that I would want to hear. And sometimes it is. And, you know, I think we have to just give people a lot of grace and um, not everybody knows all those details. And so, you know, it's, it might sting a little, but ultimately I'm like, eh, well, you know, they, they're trying. Yeah. Know? Well, to be, um, to be clear, most of this, I, well, I'll say to be clear, but this is my perspective, so please validate it. <laughs> um, less of this stuff happens with people who are kind of in that day-to-day throws or like our immediate um, family and our, our really close friends like that. We had less of those experiences there. This was, I think more once you get outside of that. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. A lot of acquaintances or people that don't know the details of our story. Um, I think those questions and statements are more common versus the people that kind of went through the throes of it with us. I think they I don't know, maybe they're just less curious because they've seen the whole process and kind of understand our hearts. And um, But yeah, I think people just don't know what to say and that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, it, it it's why the first thing I thought was just to say, hey, that, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't say that, most people tended to start to tell you why you were in the position you were in, mm-hmm. which is super awkward because they start kind of <laughs> casting their reasoning for why you're going through whatever it is you're going through in your life. And you're like, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, to where there again, it's good intentions, but it's like, you're literally just trying to say that sucks. I'm sorry. But instead you're telling mm-hmm. me why I'm in this position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, yeah. Anyways. I do think 
I, one thing I have learned um, very specifically is um, it's important to be present through pe- with people. Um, it's important to be there. But um, like I am very um, hesitant to ever give anyone unasked or unwarranted advice in their pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more prone now to just sit with them and be there, show up, bring food, you know, let's watch a movie, let's watch Friends and laugh. Like I, I just I, th- I think somebody showing up and being with you and saying, yeah, this this is hard. Like let's just sit in this together. That's so powerful. Um, and so I am, you know, you know in your head, right, like, oh, I shouldn't approach this this way or I shouldn't give advice or I shouldn't say this. But I think living it, you just really experience what it's like to be on the other side. And I think when people just show up and are present, that's what means the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you decide that you're going to do private adoption, what did that process look like? I think first it was, you know, finding the the right um, people to work with. So we we found an agency to work with and, and a lot of it was just kind of being directed. And for us, we had no idea what we were getting into outside of like we tried to have some conversations with people and learn. But I mean, once you get into the throes of it and you know, the hundreds of pages of applications, which, um, full disclosure, Sarah filled out all of them, (laughs) um, and start learning how to navigate those waters. It's, it's different. So, I mean, I, at first it was like, all right, we got to pick a place to work with. We have to learn, uh, we we have to, you know, find and find the funds because it's not cheap. Um, and then, you know, start going through it. Cause our expectations were way different than what happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you talk to people and, you know, we were expecting, Oh, maybe a year, you know, maybe this long or that long. And, you know, it's, we're good, we're good people. We're good family. Like, you know, this, this just makes sense. Like, you know, we came out on the other end of this with a lot of knowledge around adoptions and different laws and different States. And, you know, you're, rights as a adoptive uh, family and what are the rights of all people involved and how to navigate that, um, which has allowed us to have some cool conversations with people getting into it. Cause we could immediately be like, Hey, here's the five things you do not need to do. Like, mm. and if you see this run, mm-hmm. you know, or like, yeah. you know, ask this question to whoever. And, yeah. Um, but a lot of learning trial by error. Um, Cause I think we had, we came into it, which this is, there's, you know, this is just the truth. We came into it with a very idealistic view of how it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we had any idea um, what to expect. And that's not to say like some people, it, it, it's really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, it took some years um, and some bumps and some unexpected things. But like the end result, we're like, holy crap, like this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I would go back and run that story back a thousand times if I had to. Um, but it was just, we had no idea. Um, and now like, you know, going in, if we go in to adopt our second kid, like, you know, now it's kind of like going back and then we're like, oh yeah, I remember that. I'm like, not stepping on that because mm-hmm. that, that'll hurt. I'm yeah. Gonna, you know, you know, I feel like Indiana Jones walking in there yeah. knowing where I'm supposed <laughs> to, what I'm supposed to grab and like throw sand on that, you know, yeah. that glass pathway. That's how you get yeah. there. Yeah. That's right. Nerd alert. I'm sure that. <laughs> <laughs> I love in the engines. I'm sure there are tons of different things, but I'm just imagining if there's some people listening, they're like, what are some of those things that he's talking about that are helpful things to know 
but there's just a few high level. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say some of it is making sure you have, you know, it's all about picking the right agency. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, meeting with people like we did to ask questions, I think, um, making sure you have like your right questions lined up, right? Like how many, I mean, just how many families do you actively work with? Um, what, like, what's a full breakdown of everything you charge? Mm-hmm. And that's good of anything to do, but like just making sure you understand. Cause I think that's a very vulnerable spot to be in when you're adopting and when you're adopting from being, um, having fertility issues, like, you know, everything is like your, your hope is in it. So that's, that's a, I think people going into this can be in a vulnerable situation. So I think learning upfront when you learning objectively before you subjectively are in the throes of it, because once you're in the throes of it, like everything becomes subjective and everything's like, Oh my gosh, if it's not this, then it's over, you know? Um, But you know, things like, you know, how fees break down, um, what happens if a lot of those questions, all right, like what happens if so-and-so changes their mind? What happens if this happens? You know, how do you, you know, how do you care for the birth mother after, you know, how do you care for them during, Mm. um, what are the States you work in? You know, if you get matched, what are the laws look like before I, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but a big piece, I think probably most important and I'll stop because I have lots of other things, but would be like, hey, how many families do you work with like at one time? Like, do you, and, and as we've learned over the years, like, you know, there's certain agencies that have a limit and they say, hey, we only work with 10 families at a time because that's how much um, we can spread our time out to effectively care for each gotcha. family. Um, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my first, and I, in choosing our next agency, that's my first question because mm-hmm. that question dictates everything. Mm. And I, I truly think you could figure out a lot of things um, to make a wise decision with only asking that question, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. And I think that matters because um, it's a very, like Brad said, a very vulnerable position. It's a very emotional process. It's hard. There are bumps. Um, you know, we had a failed match that so was very painful. Um, and I think you want to be with an agency that is able to, that has the time um, and availability to walk walk with you through that. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, we have been to counseling over a lot of this grief and um, have good counselors. So that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being able to have folks that do this every day that have a lot of empathy and a lot of time mm-hmm. and availability um, is really important. So when you do have questions that they can answer them for you quickly. And, mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes agencies are so overwhelmed with the number of families they're serving. There's that lack of availability. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the reason why, um, it is so important to have one that has a little bit more time on their hands, um, for both you. And then you think about the birth mother on the other side, making sure that if she has questions, they're getting mm-hmm. answered. And, um, if she has emotional needs, they're getting addressed as well because this is painful for her. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. Because it's also even when you get matched, like, or excuse me, like uh, the closer you get to that point, um, you know, the more it's almost like having a travel agent, right? And mm-hmm. like you're, you're on vacation and something happens and you want to be able to call that person immediately mm. and say like, oh my gosh, this just happened. What do I do? And they're like, yeah, oh, I've been there a thousand times take a left mm. and you're like, 
took left. Thank you. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Um, and I think that's really important because you're, you know, I mean, you might be like if you're international, right? Like you're in a different country. Mm-hmm. If you're, we were in a different state. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in a, everything was not our norm. So mm-hmm. it was, and we were dealing with lawyers from different states and it was kind of like, wow. who does what, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we, and I think it's important to be able to say like, raise your hand and have someone say, oh yeah, they do that. Mm-hmm. We'll hold them accountable to that. Um, yeah. Don't worry about it. And I think that's, those are the questions that I think um, are really smart to have up front before you get in the middle of it. Because mm-hmm. um, it'll, the, I mean, it's almost like filling out the application, right? Like you, we, we talked about this a bunch. It's, you fill out the application, um, like removed before you go in, like you're excited, but there's lots of questions and you have to have conversations around um, all kinds of, you know, what do we think about this? Mm-hmm. Like it's a checkbox, right? Like you have to make very big family decisions with a checkbox. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to, to sit down and make those decisions together. Uh, you know, and I get, again, I say objectively because then you, you kind of have that true North and you get in the middle of it and you say, well, why did we do that? Because that day we sat down and talked mm-hmm. and decided that, that that was what was best for our family. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's keep going. And then is that? Yeah, you have to make decisions in the process that are very uncomfortable. Um, questions, the applications are long, and it's basically what sorts of situations are you comfortable with and are you not? And it's really hard to say, I'm not comfortable with X because one, you're emotionally like, I want a baby. And the more things you're not comfortable with, the longer it's going to take. Yeah. Um, and two, you kind of feel like a terrible person because you're having to say no to some situations that maybe somebody would be comfortable with, but maybe you're not. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at it through the lens of, well, this is long term, you know, what life is going to be like for our family. Some people are called to these sorts of situations and some people are not. We actually... Um, you know, Jackson was not our first match, as we said. And, you know, we we had to say um, no to some situations that the agency presented before us um, because when we did fill out that form, we we objectively said, no, this is not something we're comfortable with. And even in those times, that was our true north, but it was excruciatingly painful to have to say no. It was like, um, you know, it just hurt because you wanted the baby so bad. But I think that objective part is really important and you have to go back to that because this is a lifelong decision. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're caring for the other, that child as well, right? Yeah. Like by saying, and, and again, it's different, right? Like when you're having a, a kid biologically, like you, they don't give you a, you don't get a sheet yeah. before you start trying and say, okay, <laughs> we're, here's all the things we're going to make sure that happen or don't happen. Um, so it's a little bit different. And I think recognizing that is okay. And I think like Sarah said, you feel like a a jerk sometimes, but it's, it's, this is the situation you're presented with. It's okay to think about it. It's okay to, to make decisions that are best for you and your family and also whatever child it might be. Yeah, just worth noting, like just being honest about it. I mean, that's that's a, that's a truth, mm-hmm. you know. How long did it take between when you started this process to the initial match? Yeah, so I think um, it was about two to two and a half years um, prior to our first match. And then with Jackson um, after that fell through. So that was really hard, um, very painful. 
Um, and then to Jackson, I would say it was about three and a half years total. What would you like to share about the first match? So our failed match was extremely hard. Um, I think, you know, we were uh, matched with that birth mother when she was about five months pregnant. And um, we actually um, were really excited and ready. And we had set up the nursery. Um, I had clothes for the baby. Everything was ready to go. Um, and you know, that didn't work out pretty abruptly. So, um, it was excruciatingly painful. Um, probably the hardest thing that we've ever had to go through. Um, you know, I don't know what it's like to miscarry. Um, but I think, you know, for us, it was losing our child. It was like, um, having a child in the knot. And so that was really hard. Um, but yeah, we took about a month off, um, after that. And then, you know, within the next year we had, um, been matched with Jackson. And so I think the end of our story is really sweet. And, um, you know, I can't imagine not having Jackson. Jackson's the perfect kiddo for our family. He's awesome. Love him. Like, I just, I can't imagine him not being our son. And so I think, you know, all of this led, it's part of our story and it led to him, but it was, it was very painful. Now, when you got matched with Jackson, did you, were you hesitant at first because of what just happened? Like what were some of, where was your heart in that process? I think we were both pretty hesitant. Um, I think we, we were excited and on, on the surface, I think it looked um, and felt like, okay, this could be it. But we were both very guarded and getting excited and we definitely, um, I did a little bit like with the nursery, but I, I just kind of, I kept the door shut a lot. I, mm -hmm. I just kind of did what I needed to do, but I didn't let myself get excited. Mm -hmm. um, the funny part about Jackson um, and him being born is we had like kind of said like, okay, like we're, we're, we're gonna, I think we're gonna do this. We didn't really tell anybody. Um, I think we told our parents and some, some very close friends, but not even all of our closer friends. We, we had kept it very tight to the chest and um, because of what had happened. And Brad and I went to the beach. Um, he was supposed to be born mid-July and like um, early June, we went to the beach and just kind of get away, get our head on straight, get some time together. We were literally... Um, June 9th, um, which is Jackson's birthday, we were on a boat in um, Ocean Isle, and we had just pulled up to the end of the island and docked the John boat, and I had, like, settled onto the beach with a magazine. <laughs> Brad had popped open a beer, and then my phone started blowing up, and they were like, Jackson, or it wasn't Jackson, but they were like, your baby's born. He's here. <laughs> and we were like, what? <laughs> So um, it it came so fast and it was such a surprise. And um, I think in our hearts, um, because we were still kind of being hesitant, it just, it was perfect because it just, it's what we needed. I feel like we were given what we needed in that match, even with that and, and it happening so quickly. Um, so it was funny. We were, we were fronting boats um, in the waterway to get out of the water and I'm screaming, our baby's here, our baby's here. <laughs> and I'm not pregnant and I'm in my bathing suit, right? So like people are looking at me like, who is this lady? And we're just cutting people trying to get out of the waterway. And um, then, you know, it just went off to pick them up. So it was about a six hour drive. And I think we kind of got to like sit 
Well, this maybe even further. Than no, that. it was it like was a, ten hours. It, I don't know. It was a long. It time. was a lot. But yeah. we had to like sit with our emotions in the car, and there was so much anticipation of like getting to meet him. But it was so funny because yes, we were very hesitant. But the way. Um, it happened is like, well, I just feel like we didn't even have time to be hesitant. Mm. It was like, well, he's here. And yeah. um, it was perfect. Now, what was it like when you first got to hold Jackson? I have a picture um, of the first time I held him. Oh, gosh, I'm going to cry. It's indescribable. Um, I think there's so many emotions, right? Like, oh, I've been waiting for this for so long. Um Holy crap, I'm I'm holding a baby that's mine. <laughs> this is crazy. And he was um four pounds, one ounce, um, and so tiny, um, because he was early. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm a mom. And the picture of me when I look at it, it's it's I'm I'm crying, I'm smiling, it's just utter joy. And I had love for him just immediately. Um but yeah, it's scary too because you're like, he's four pounds and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Are you sure you want to send him home with me? Um, but no, it was it was indescribable. It's it's the greatest joy of my life. It was it was amazing, um, and it was a, a long time coming. <laughs> so it was this moment of like, I'm finally a mommy. You know, it's like. You know, jokingly, it's like, well, I'm an adult now. Like, <laughs> time to be, time to like, I have something that is dependent upon you. Which I remember thinking, like, holy cow, like this is this is a great responsibility, and and like such a a proud responsibility. Because um, I remember the same thing, like just swelling with joy, but swelling with just this pride of this little man, um, and just knowing, like, you know, you're you're part of me, right? Like there's no, no question. You know, it's awesome. This may be something you can't even really put into words, but what has being Jackson's mom and dad meant to you? Oh, it is really hard to put that into words. I think, um, I think that I have learned what it's like to be more selfless. Um, I, I don't have, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. I mean, I don't have a ton of time. I'm a working mom. I work full time. But when I do have time, I want to spend it with him. He's, he's just, he's the reason I work. He's, you know, he's, he gives me a lot of meaning and fulfillment um, because I just, I love him so much. I just never thought I could love any little thing that much. So he's, he's so funny. And I, even this morning was, um, he was sitting across from me. And he's learning to stick out his tongue a lot. And so we're just sticking our tongue out at each other. Then he would laugh and laugh. And I think there's just something to be said about that simple joy and like getting to walk day to day with someone who has such childlike wonder. And um, this morning I was laughing because I opened up the blinds and sometimes in the morning, you know, the moon is still out, right? So the sun's up, but the moon is still there. And he saw the moon and just lost his mind. He was like, it's the moon. <laughs> and I just I love the way he looks at life like that. Everything's exciting. And so I think to be a parent and to love someone so much and to get to experience those little details is really special. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. Yeah, I just love being a dad. Um, Jackson's a blast. And it's kind of redirected my energies uh, in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways, then it's redirected my energies and just how like what's a priority, you know, spending time with him and family is a priority and 
it was kind of like, well, how can I organize my life around a way that I get to be there and, and do that? Yeah, I just, he's a West. He's a goober. He's a nut. He's, um, he's like the rest of his family and he's picked up on it and embraced it. And I love it. And all the things like that. I mean, it's also, I mean, it's pushed me to the brink of like patience and pushed me to the brink of being tired um, and things of that nature. It's just been interesting to watch and see how it's gone. Cause like for Sarah and I, you know, for any couple, right. Like you argue more when you're tired and you know, what does a child do? <laughs> they make you tired. <laughs> <laughs> you had to like take a step two in our arguing. <laughs> Cause you have to like, you realize that, okay, well we're always tired. And then every once in a while, one of you is hangry and that just adds a whole new level to this stuff. Um, but no, it, it's been great. He's, I, I look forward every day with him because there's something new. And he, again, he's just in that age where he's, he's just excited to be alive and like, you know, he'll flip out about a freaking balloon. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, let's get, let's go nuts over a balloon. That is pretty fun, <laughs> you know, and just try to keep that mentality of, um, you know, I read the other day, like you're, you can, you can choose to spend time some with someone and you can choose to invest time with them. Mm. And that's been really um, powerful in where I've, how I've viewed my time with him. Cause sometimes you're like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to spend time with you while mom does X or well, whatever's happening. But I think the mindset of changing it to like, I'm investing time with you every time I'm with you has changed my perspective a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's. And Sarah, I loved on your first mother's day as a mother, your Facebook post where you just shared your joy and excitement and thankfulness of being a mom, but then also just sharing how you're still so close to so many years of pain that what that day was for you. And I, I just love that you're able to relate to both sides. And I think that's such, it must be such a gift for other people around you that know that they can find that safe place with you and still feel known and understood in that. And so what would you say to anyone who is going through the infertility adoption? What are some things you could say to them that helped you? I think that one of the most impactful things for me that um, I've realized is that through pain comes joy a lot of times. And so I think with adoption, there's really both sides of my joy is through someone else's pain. And I think sometimes one side doesn't get to see the joy. Um, and, and I think that's hard, right? And so I don't really know that I can necessarily say anything that would be inspiring or helpful. But um, I think, you know, there's a lot of um, pain in the process and I think it's okay. It's okay to recognize that it's hard and it hurts. Um, And the waiting process is just hard, whether you're waiting for to conceive or you're waiting for a baby to adopt or you're waiting for anything that you're waiting on, right? Like nobody likes that part. It's messy and it's hard and it's the unknown. My my encouragement is just that, you know, you're not alone in the sense that there are others that have gone through this. And 
I think that light needs to be shown on this. And so I think, you know, with my post, for example, I, I think it's important for folks to remember there are folks on both sides of that journey and that we're all in this together, whichever side of that we're on, and that there are people that love and, and want to walk through that with you. And, you know, I'd encourage folks to, to not go through that alone. I think our story, we're thankful every day that it ended the way it did, but it may not have. Maybe we didn't choose to adopt or maybe we um, never considered and maybe we ended up not being parents. And I think, you know, if that was our lot, like that would have been a, a very hard grieving process to go through. And I, I think it's okay to grieve and it's okay to feel those emotions. But, you know, I, I think for me, Mother's Day is, um, it is a day of such joy and, and thankfulness. And I feel that every day on the flip side, you know, I think about Jackson's birth mother, how she must feel on that day. You know, my mom is sick. She has Parkinson's disease. So there's a lot of pain for me on that day with that. So there's just a lot of mixed emotions. And I think for anyone going through this journey, there's a ton of emotion with it and there's good and bad and ugly. And, you know, kind of like I mentioned earlier, there's, there's, it's okay to feel both. You can feel joy for people and a lot of pain at the same time. And I think with Mother's Day, there's a lot of folks that feel joy and a lot of folks that feel pain at the same time. And I think embracing that emotion is really the only way to get through it. Um, you have to address it head on and have support while you do it. So um, either through friends or good counseling, which I had a lot of. And what would y'all suggest to couples going through this? Having a sounding board for myself was really helpful and it continues to be like it hasn't gone away. But I had some very kind of close friends that I was able to be very honest with and didn't feel like I was just saying it and being acknowledged and like, yeah, you know, there's that guy again who's going through this hard thing, right? Like genuinely walking with me and just being able to be honest um, with a few people, I think was really helpful. Um, and then also just sitting down in it. Like I didn't do that. I didn't do a good job of that. And I want to make sure that it's clear of like, these are things I've learned, but I don't, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you're out of it. And one thing I kind of learned along the way was, you know, taking time to, you know, some of the stuff we felt sucked, um, but it's really shaped a lot of who we are going forward and trying to figure out like, well, what is that, you know, what is sitting down and what you're feeling mean? Because it's still growth, um, even as icky and hurtful or uncomfortable as it can be. And I think that's something that like we both had to work through together and we worked through it at different speeds and sometimes we were on different pages. And I think for us, just talking about it, like I think we had to keep an open dialogue together and be able to say like, this is where I am today. And there would be some days where it would just be like, hey, I'm having a bad day. It's not a good day for this. And the other one would know that and just try to, one of a few things would happen, right? Like you'd either be like, gotcha. And, you know, be a helping person uh, or a positive contributing factor, or you would hear it and you wouldn't hurt that part and either not listen or not catch it or, you know, be having a bad day yourself. And I mean, I think we, we developed a, a pretty battle hardened way to go about it together. And, and also like, I mean, in all of this, like some of the times you gotta have, I mean, you have to laugh. <laughs> like, you know, it's weird to talk about it and all this, but sometimes, you know, I remember there was one point where we were going through all this and we were just kind of like, are you kidding me? Like how did this and this, and this and this all line up to happen. And we were, I remember we were laying in bed one night and we're like, 
what if this happened? And kind of were like, yeah, that would be terrible. What if this happened at the same time this happened? Oh, I know someone. And I'm just kind of laughing through like, this is crazy. Um, I remember that because we were laying in bed and I think like my mom had been in the hospital um, and then we had a family member pass and then our adoption fell through. And then like Brad was really stressed. He had like a really stressful time at work and it was like all at the same time. And um, I mean, we did. We just started laughing because there was just nothing else we could do. We were like, what? Like, how do you get all of this at the same time? And, you know, there are folks out there in worse circumstances. And um, but I just think at that moment in time, it felt like so much to us. And yeah, yeah I mean, sometimes you just have to be like well <laughs> this is our lot like we just have to do the best we can and it was like that moment wasn't it, it's a way to like get it out right and in that moment like we'd had times where we'd talked about the same thing and cried right or but it was just a moment to just like just get it out and at that time it happened to be laughter and we we're just like this is crazy like this is really this is our life like and and we're gonna keep doing it you know and i think one thing we learned too is like learned how to give each other some a little bit more space um, to go process alone um, or like, Hey, you need a, a you day. Like, Hey, I'm going to get out of your hair. Like go do whatever you want to do. You know? And like, I took a few of those days and Sarah took a few of those days and it might be that like, you know, I didn't do anything profound. I literally went one day and watched three IMAX movies on like history nerd stuff back to back to back and walked around the uh, history museum for like two hours and that was like this just fill my tank kind of day. And like, I think I, you know, I, I probably ate somewhere in downtown and had bad, you know, all kinds of fried food. And it was just kind of one of those things where it wasn't like I took a day to like process some, you know, monumental thing that I was dealing with. It was just like, man, I just went and learned about Lewis and Clark, listened to Jim Carrey, narrate some stuff about underwater fish and, Learned a whole heck of a lot at the history museum. And it was just like self-care. And I think that's important. Um, and then like, you got to do that. Um, and I think we learned halfway through it that that was important and tried to start finding ways to self-care. Yeah. And I think all of that was helpful for us. But, you know, I will say that everybody's situation is so unique and different. And, you know, I'd encourage you to sit in that emotion and find something that's helpful for you. Um, but I by no means can give any advice, right? Like it's sure. like what I was saying earlier is like sometimes that can be hurtful because what might have been helpful for us may not be helpful for you. And so I think it's just important to, you know, sit sit in that and reflect and think about what you need. And, you know, if, if you don't have a, a community that you can walk through it with, maybe seek some good counsel from someone because I just think um, we're designed to have people share our burdens with us. And um, I, I think that that was helpful, you know, and that's all I can say really. It's, it's, you got to do you. (laughs) (laughs) That wraps up the interview with Brad and Sarah on this trimmed down version. Again, if you would like to hear the full version, then go over to patreon.com backslash restoring heart to find out how you can have access to 
this interview in its full version, as well as interviews from the past months and other benefits that are provided to those who are part of the Patreon community. If there is someone you know that could benefit from this episode, please pass it along to them. I hope that this interview, as well as all the others, are helping those of you who are also experiencing these things, feeling seen, understood and encouraged. And for those of you that are on the opposite side who aren't directly experiencing but have people in your life who are, I hope that you are getting a better view of how to love and care and show up for these people. Until next week, I hope you do something restoring in your heart and in the hearts of those around you.